And welcome to the Ra podcast at Manchester Metropolitan University and to our eighth episode in our new mini-series. In this episode, I will be speaking to Kevin Wong and Chris Kreisman about their research in policing the lockdown. We will cover how breach of lockdown could become a crime of the law-abiding, the importance of consistency in police approach to enforcing the lockdown and the relaxation of lockdown measures, and what new challenges the police force are facing during this period. So, let's get into it. So, I'm here today with Kevin Wong and Chris Christman. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Uh, Could you introduce yourselves? Okay, so I'm Kevin Wong. I'm a a reader at Manchester Metropolitan University, and I'm also the Associate Director of the Policy Evaluation and Research Unit. So, uh, Chris Kreisman, I'm a research fellow at the Centre for Applied Criminology and Policing Studies at the University of Huddersfield. We are currently in lockdown as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, and the police have been given kind of extra powers to enforce social distancing measures. Um, So could you introduce the research you've been doing on how the police will need to adapt to this unique situation? Our interest in this was really about the issue of consent and the extent to which the police response to policing the COVID-19 lockdown may impact on relations between the police and communities, and in particular to individuals who, in most normal circumstances, would be unlikely to encounter the police. And in summary, that's about adopting a policing style that is fair, transparent, that allows for redress by the general public and that is viewed and seen by members of the public as fair and appropriate and uh, fortunate. I mean, in, in a sense, what we're doing is we're responding to a number of different news stories which have thrown these issues up in in different ways. But what's interesting is we are living through very extraordinary times. One example of this is the emergency powers which have been given to the police, the different ways their respective police forces have interpreted that legislation. And in a sense, we are running a mass social experiment in this country. The extraordinary draconian powers enacted potentially criminalise large numbers of the population for mundane activities. If one leaves one's house too many times in the day, if one meets with other people or too many other people, the citizen now faces potential enforcement action from the state, including fines and other criminal justice sanctions. This has never happened before. We are in new uncharted territory. That kind of leads me on, I guess, to my next question. It struck me that you spoke about non-compliance being a crime of the law abiding, which I think relates specifically to kind of what you were just saying. Could you explain that a little bit more and how it might affect how people will regard the police going forward? So a crime is, as sociologists describe, I think, a social construct, right? A crime is a crime because we say it is. And whilst I think the majority of people in the UK would agree that burglary 
is a crime and therefore merits some kind of enforcement action or some kind of punishment possibly or whatever. Someone leaving the house perhaps once too often in a day and therefore breaching the lockdown is a different kind of thing, right? It's a, it's a different type of action. And it's an action that majority of people in the UK might regard as being not particularly serious thing, whereas I think everyone would regard burglary as being you know, quite a serious thing. The non-compliance, for example, with the lockdown rules could well be regarded as crimes that you know your average person would potentially be committing in this new environment so that people who normally wouldn't be in touch with the police would, in this instance, be the recipients of that police action. Why is that an issue? Because whilst the general public have high levels of trust and confidence in the police, that rarely survives first contact. Having a poor or a negative experience of the police is far more impactful, up to four to 14 times more impactful than having a positive experience with the police. So what this shows us is the police don't have to get it wrong very often to have a sort of caustic relationship with the community. Um, so there's issues of you know, reputational damage to the police from that contact. Um, and this, ha- this is important because it has implications for how people judge the police in terms of trust, confidence, and also legitimacy, and hence their willingness to comply with those instructions and the law more generally. So police forces in different parts of the UK have been interpreting the guidelines for essential and non-essential activity differently. So how important is consistency and clarity in approach? In Greater Manchester, where you have a population of 2.7 million people, the Greater Manchester Police issued 263 fines. Lancashire, which has a population around about 1.2 million over the same period, had issued 736 fines, which is close to three times as many as Greater Manchester Police. And so I guess that just illustrates the, the inconsistencies in which the legislation is being applied. One thing we did suggest in our briefing was that there needed to be some kind of consistent guidance to the police about what they did. And not long after that, the National Police Chiefs Council did issue guidance to police forces and they codified it by describing it as the four E's. I mean, those four E's are engage, explain, encourage and enforce, which is about officers need to speak to people to establish their awareness and understanding of the situation. The next step then is to explain about the risk that they're taking. Thirdly is to encourage people to act reasonably and then only then as a last resort should they enforce or take enforcement action. Now, I guess that the fines data suggests that perhaps some forces were operating that guidance somewhat differently. And and I guess that that what that kind of means is you've got disparate and differential experiences across the country in terms of what the police and public feel about the situation. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things to add there. Forces have constabulary independence, so operational policing decisions are down to individual constabularies to decide how they police. This is guidance, of course. Um, ultimately, it's the decision of the chief constable in terms of you know, operational practices and what they actually do. But we don't want to tar all police forces with the same brush either. This seems to be a minority of cases. It would seem, at least at first blush, that most police forces are taking a sensible approach. And in the four E's, it's a sensible policy. The flip side of that, I guess, 
Similarly, I think that the general public are also having a challenge in properly understanding what they can and can't do. So interestingly, remaining at home is enshrined in the legislation, right? Government guidance, and therefore not legislation, is that there should be two-metre social distancing. Okay, so that's guidance as opposed to regulation. The recent changes in the lockdown rules, actually, are they rules or guidance? As we see further changes in, in that relaxation of those rules, I think that's likely to lead to challenges for the police in terms of how they interpret that, but also challenges for the general public in understanding, again, what they can and can't do. Yeah, I mean, I think as the situation has developed, I think the current situation has compounded the confusion both in terms of the authorities and also in terms of citizens as well, and what they are and are not allowed to do, above and beyond the issue of the difference between the guidelines and the legislation. So you've both kind of described there a lot of the kind of problems that police forces are facing in kind of interpreting and enforcing the kind of the different rules that are maybe not so clear to start with in terms of kind of what is guidance and what is, you know, enforceable. Then as, as a kind of result of that, if public trust in the police force was to drop, what would happen there? What would be the result that we were seeing? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because let's try and sort of think this through. If police forces don't operate to their own guidance, as it were, one could see a rise in perhaps mistrust of the police, which later on down the line, maybe when things return to normal, may be a residual issue there for the police. So that, that could have a medium and longer term effect more generally in terms of how the police is perceived and and whether the police is perceived as a fair organisation or not. And therefore, it makes it more difficult for the police to act in future enforcement roles. There's very important implications, potential implications following from this. Somewhere between the high 70s to the low 90s in terms of the crime incidents that the police learn about come from the general public. So they are reliant upon neighbours calling it in, acting as witnesses, being engaged in other sort of crime prevention activities, neighbourhood watch being one most obvious. If trust and confidence withdraws, then likely so that cooperative behaviour would withdraw as well, very much to the detriment of the ability of the police to function. So the police need the public to cooperate with them without that. So when community relationships are harmed, and of course in some areas that is very much the case, then um, the level of cooperation with the police so diminishes. And obviously it's a changing situation. Quite a while ago, lockdown would have been kind of completely unimaginable. And now we're seeing a slight kind of relaxation of these restrictions. So how do you think this is going to change and develop as we're maybe coming out of lockdown or as those rules and guidance are kind of changing quite rapidly? The main challenge is the ability of police forces to adapt what they do in line with those changing relaxation rules. And for, I guess, the National Police Chiefs Council to kind of amend and revise their guidance quickly enough to keep pace with those changes. And so this is a time of a lot of change as well. So I was just wondering what new crime challenges police forces are facing in terms of which crimes have gone up, which crimes have gone down... It's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, with the lockdown, arguably, if you look at the kind of recorded crime figures, we've seen a significant drop in violent crime. The caveat to that is, of course, we are talking about violent street crime. 
What's yeah. happening, I suspect uh, rates of domestic violence and such are probably shot through the roof, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And what's more difficult to try and tease out is those crimes that, are, that occur within the home. Uh, one thing that it's probably worth giving some time to think about, I guess, is some of the associated negative societal effects, I guess, of the pandemic in relation to hate crime. And uh, what we have seen or what's been recorded is a threefold increase in the number of hate crimes against people of Chinese and Southeast uh, Asian origin as a direct consequence of blaming individuals for the coronavirus. And I think we've seen a similar situation in the USA where Asian Americans have also been on the receiving end of verbal abuse, of physical assaults. And of course, it, it doesn't help where you have a kind of political discourse, in this case in the USA, led by the president uh, describing COVID-19 as Chinese flu or China flu. I mean, outside of that, uh, research undertaken by academics at Birmingham City University have also tracked an increase in the uh, number of online hate incidents in relation to Muslim people linked to COVID-19. And these are things that are not necessarily highlighted in the media, but clearly they are taking a toll and impact on, on those communities. And I guess to date, actually, I've not come across very much from the police necessarily about how they may be addressing that. So just just a summary then, um, what can police forces do to maintain public trust? I think that the current model of the four E's is the way to go with a stress that, you know, explain, you encourage, um, as, as well as um, the fact that public are coming to understand what these restrictions actually are as well. So I, I think that, you know, I think you just need a very measured, a very sensible response from the police with enforcement action being an absolute last resort when everything else has failed. Well, it certainly is a very broad and very important issue. Um, so thank you both for joining us on the RAW podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter for future podcast updates. You can find us at MMU underscore Ra. Tune back and soon for more episodes. This episode of the Ra podcast was produced, presented and edited by Lucy Simpson and mixed by Julian Holloway.